Welcome to the K2 Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Kelly. Every week, I'll be sitting down with a sales executive where they'll share their stories and experiences that produce game-changing results. Let's be honest, sales can be a tough game. I'm sure at some point, we've all delivered a less than stellar demo, been ghosted by a client or two, and sometimes maybe we did more talking than listening. And that's where I can help. The stories and insights our guests share can be applied to your own business, your territory, or with your team, so you're not reinventing the wheel. Our weekly tactics and strategies help you get out of your head and start creating your own path towards game-changing results. Welcome back to the K2 Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Kelly. Now, digital transformation is taking many organizations by storm, and I would say many of them are at different stages. Some are thinking about it, some are midway, and some are well along their way of digital transformation. And uh, in my conversation today with Chief Operating Officer of People.ai, Art Harding, he shared his experience, you know, having many years working with um, sales services and operation teams, uh, you know, really supporting them through the challenges of scale and strategic change and how when we can take, um, you know, a holistic approach and really from a budgeting standpoint, from a strategy and execution, bring the sales, marketing, customer experience together the impact it can have on our buyer and to really not lose sight of our, of our buyer and becoming more buyer centric. And so we talked about how digital transformation can help us both internally when we can align our strategies, uh, but also what that, how that translates to the buyer and really create an experience for them. We also talked about when you look at the sales leader and how they can, you know, continue to play a role in executing digital transformation, but to their team and, you know, what, what can we offer as sales leaders beyond the data? How can we support them? How can we offer a coaching culture? How can we offer a management program to really help them drive results through people versus product? Uh, we talked about leading and lagging indicators. And, and we, while we need both, oftentimes it's the lagging that, that are always um, pushed. And it's, in, you know, people would just think of, wow, if, I, if we could have course corrected that, if we could have had a conversation midway to heighten my awareness awareness, or just even, you know, have a discussion, it might've made me think differently. And as a result, I might've done something differently. So opportunity to really lean into that, you know, that curiosity, why are things happening the way they are in the moment so that I, I can get the awareness that next time I see this, I know what to look for. And I, and I can prevent, you know, going down that same pathway and, you know, get a different result, which is what I'm looking for. We talked about, again, how to create a coaching culture, how different reps embrace coaching and, and why do they, why are some, you know, perhaps Gen Zs that are just born and raised with technology and perhaps the uh, older generations are not, how can we bring them both together to still, to still uh, develop them? Um, but understand that their needs are different. What motivates them is different. So uh, we talked about many, many things. So I think if you're an individual contributor, a sales leader, a business owner, you will definitely take something away from this and really look at, you know, how internally can we come together? Can we break down the silos so that we can be more efficient, um, really leverage the data to see what we're doing internally so that we can have better, you know, experiences, better conversations, and ultimately increase, you know, sales with our with our buyers. Encourage you all to take a listen. At the end, he does provide some tactical things to get you started. So uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. As always, learned a lot and uh, hope you uh, enjoy it. I'll talk to you later. So our, we're talking about RevOps just before we hit record, and it really is a highly used buzzword these days. And, you know, research predicts that 75% of the high growth companies will develop 
a RevOps model by 2025. So not too, not too far away. So just to ensure that everyone's on the same page, can you start off by defining, you know, what is a RevOps? Like what's it made of? And in your opinion, why should we be focusing on it? Yeah. So I think there's two parts to that question. The first one, I have a 0% chance of getting right and not you know, hitting a boundary that someone would want to debate. And I think that's actually part of the second answer, which is as we define RevOps today, I think the first sentence out of anyone's mouth should be, this is an emerging field and it's an emerging practice that both the boundaries of it and the scope and scale of it are going to be very specific to your business, the industry you're in, the maturity of your company. These are all factors that will define what RevOps is for you today, but functionally, it is um, in most organizations chartered with delivering capabilities for the go-to-market teams, marketing, sales, and services. Sometimes they can have responsibilities across all of those go-to-market functions, sometimes maybe one or two of them with partnerships with another operator. And they also have critical partnerships internally with finance, IT teams, and they're, they're really this operating API between your sales, marketing, and services teams and the internal service providers like IT, security, legal, finance, a lot of the GNA functions that these teams may interact with. Those interactions are becoming more and more digital, requiring more and more sophistication around data. Um, so I, I think to answer your first question, RevOps has at a minimum some sort of sales operations functionality um, along with partnerships um, internally. But the breadth of RevOps, depending on the company, can expand all the way through marketing operations into post-sales operations and get even as comp com complex as including deal desk functions, channel um, operations. Um, but the size and scale of this is both a, a derivative of the type of business you're in, as well as where you are on um, your relationship with this technology that's making its way into our business, which brings us to your second question. Why is everyone talking about this? Um, you know, we're going to spend a little bit of time later talking about digital transformation and I'll, I'll reference this when digital transformation hits an industry, there's a couple of things that I think I've observed in the past. And the first one is new titles and new labels to try and describe a new way of thinking or a new way of doing things. And I think the RevOps trend is the industry's instinctual response to something's different. This isn't the ops team from 10 or 15 years ago. There's more technology, there's more integration, there's more data. So we need a new word to describe it, right? And this RevOps trend is, in my opinion, people trying to organizationally describe the need to get their arms around this proliferation of automation, data, AI that people are using to drive their sales and marketing functions. Um, and it, it represents the instinctual knowledge that people know we have to be more tightly integrated across some of our classic operating silos and that the focus um, of the future needs to be the buyer and customer journey, not any one department, not marketing, not sales, not services, um, that there needs to be an operating function, um, an operating cadence, um, maybe a centralized broker or intellectually um, authentic in terms of how they see things, how they measure things, and how they deliver capabilities, and that the operators benefit from being together with one team um, and serving the cross-functional business versus being trapped within a specific silo as a marketing ops team or a sales ops team. Lots to unpack there, for sure. And, you know, working uh, with all teams, there, there traditionally is those silos, right? The marketing, sales, and ops. So, 
what I'm hearing is, you know, is the coming together of them to interact with the internal functions, but that, that bridge is the digital, that that's the kind of the connecting piece that, that brings them together. And what you said there is a relationship with technology. And, you know, I, I would imagine that there's some that embrace the relationship and others maybe fear it because there's so much tech. And then you think like, what, what, can, where do we start? What can we do with it? What's the impact? But I think what, what I just heard you say is, you know, if we're tightly integrated with, with everything you said with RevOps, we can embrace the technology. It brings us closer to being buyer centric and really looking at things from the buyer standpoint, which in my opinion is where everything needs to be focused on. And you mentioned the comfort level um, as we continue to explore this conversation. In my role, um, I get exposed to so many different companies out there and how they're operating. There is a full spectrum of responses from, you know, complete rejection of a concept. I don't need this. I've been doing this a long time to enthusiasm, maybe without all the competence and capabilities we need to deliver on that enthusiasm. So you might have people that are leaning in, but maybe haven't had the exposure to the types of systems thinking or design or data governance that they need to be successful with these tools. So it's a very interesting time where I believe we actually have more capabilities than we've actually learned how to harvest. And that's the opportunity ahead for all of us as leaders, that it's scary, it's overwhelming, it's new. Um, But I actually think there's untapped value in the capabilities that these technologies are are bringing to us today. Um, And the real challenge is on us as sales and marketing um, leaders and services leaders, um, can we lead our organizations through this period of change um, and increase the adoption and utilization of these capabilities? Well, I think that is a great question because I would say a lot of people might take the mindset of, well, it's been this way all the time. Why change now? And perhaps um, more progressive, even, you know, in, in the younger generations might be like, yeah, let's, this is all I know, technology. Let's, let's embrace it both at the individual contributor level, but also at that leadership level. So talk to us a little bit about sales leaders who perhaps are reluctant for whatever reason to embrace the technology what obstacles stand in their way and what can they do differently to really get on board with it? Well, yeah, I think one I'd, you know, if you're going to speak to sales leaders, I always believe in there's nothing that mobilizes sales leaders like a good competition. So maybe I'll, I'll frame my advice for the sales leaders within the context of their peers and go to market and this concept that we're modernizing um, and go to market. And that's why we're grasping at RevOps and we're investing in all these tools and technology. I really believe that go-to-market, and when I say that, it's shorthand for marketing, sales, and whatever post-sales relationship you have with your customer, I believe it is digitally transforming and has been for some time. And if we were at the Digital Transformation Olympics giving out medals, I can envision marketing and post-sales orgs really competing for gold and silver, right? Post-sales has gone from fixed price TNM to embedded subscriptions with snackable learning moments, ideally embedded in the product with a subscription. They've called themselves customer success. Um, You know, there's models and methodologies. Marketing used to be very analog, creative driven business. How big do you want your booth at the trade show, full, full magazine wrap or full page article in the Wall Street Journal. But we all know marketing over the last decade has really modernized where it's a data driven, digital automation, heavy motion. Which brings us to your question. So if I'm a sales leader today, how should I internalize what's going on around me? And if I look up the funnel at marketing and I look down the customer journey into post-sales, we can see demonstrable evidence that these organizations have digitally transformed. 
And if we look at who's going to maybe climb up onto the medal platform as the bronze medal winner in the Digital Transformation Olympics here, sales would be up there. Um, and But I think what's really what really stands out is you see the digital transformation starting from the bottom up and from the inside out, meaning bottom up being people earlier on in their career. Um, they've, they're you know part of a younger generation that has grown up with a different relationship with technology and they leverage it differently at work. Uh, BDRs, SDRs, high velocity selling motions. We're seeing a lot of technology invested in this segment. Where we, where we tend to see the I've been there, done that, we've never needed this before pressure comes more from the more complicated large scale enterprise sailing, sales organizations where the debate between how much of sales was art and science has raged on for, for some time. Now we have technology trying to, trying to enter into that conversation. My advice would be, and I was just having this conversation this weekend, I was with a couple of folks um, from out of town and we were having this discussion where we had people across an age spectrum and seniority spectrum. And after listening to everyone debate, I said, hey, you know, as usual with these trends, when these glaciers move through an industry, um, you know, everyone, the TV was going to kill the radio and movies. And we've seen so many examples where some glacier of innovation comes through and we make these extreme predictions. The people who want to advocate that we've never needed this data or automation or technology before, therefore, why do we need it now? I think are trying to defend the importance of human relationships and the fact that people do buy from people and that we do need to be curious about the people we're interacting with. We need we do need to do quality discovery. Um, and the the introduction of data and technology is received as a threat to that core skill or competency that, hey, you know, it's about the people. It's not just about the data and the technology. The flip side of that is someone who has a lot of religion around data and automation and technology can often diminish the importance of the people and the human element, whether it be executive presence or, you know, knowing when to get out from behind the Zoom camera and meet someone in person. I believe the right answer and my advice for both, whether you're more of a laggard and, and wondering why we have to do things a new way or whether you're very enthusiastically excited about these new capabilities, I think the right answer is going to be the real opportunity is how to harmonize the two using data automation and technology to deploy your skills of building relationships with people, of understanding how to connect with people and just make that richer, right? Showing up more informed versus asking blind or, or, you know, maybe inappropriate discovery questions, show up with a point of view, show up with some research. We have the technology now to, to bring a lot more to our initial conversations than we had 10 years ago. Um, but you still need to have the conversation and it's still worthwhile to connect with that person as a human. Yeah. So what I'm hearing there are, it is the art and science, you know, that, that first Pete of the human relax, uh, human relations and quality discovery. But if you don't know when to have that under what stage of the buyer's journey, kind of that structure or the process part, it's all, it's, it's floating. And so I always say like, what are we anchoring it under to really, you know, serve both sides so that the buyer feels, um, empowered, informed, and, and we make it easy for them to make a decision. Well, well, totally. And I, and I love how you keep going back to that. And clearly you've spoken to a lot of folks, you know, trying to solve problems in this space. And there's a lot of things you could anchor on, but very rarely when you anchor on your buyer and customer, um, is it the wrong decision? Mm -hmm. And as we, you know, as you, as your question, Hey, what advice would you give to sales leaders? My advice would be, there's a lot going on around us. Our integration and alignment with our cross-functional partners is getting more and more impactful, the velocity is accelerating, the impact, the leverage is, is increasing. And so it can be overwhelming. Your North Star is the buyer and customer journey. The reason we're doing this 
is our competitors in the markets are teaching our prospects and our customers that they can expect smarter engagement from us, that they can expect faster time to fulfillment, that they can expect as they pass through our organization that the knowledge they've shared with us passes with them through that journey. And so it's the buyers and customers that are demanding we evolve, not an internal debate between someone with eight years experience and someone with 30 years experience. That's not the conversation. The, the conversation is with that buyer and customer. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and the irony is there's still a lot of, you know, companies that are looking internally. And when you think about the data, like, are they leveraging conversational intelligence, you know, and are they really... So one thing is you're giving your team the tools. That's great. But are you optimizing them? Are you looking at, you know, talk to listen ratio? Are you looking at, um, are they asking, like you just mentioned, quality discovery questions? Because if not, like, yes, we're compliant, we're, we're supporting them. But if we're not evaluating or measuring them along the way, are we truly supporting them? And just back to what you said, is that getting us closer or further away to ultimately giving the buyer what they're looking for. And that is smarter, better experiences. They're, they're asking for it. And, and I think the fact that they are, which I love that they're weeds out kind of the BS. Like if you're wasting my time, they are not going to put up with that anymore. So it just kind of lets everything that's no longer that when people are not showing up with intention, with purpose, and we're, you know, the currency we trade in this time, the customer will shut the door on them. They're out. And so I like that because that's the way we need to be. Well, and, you know, there's there's two audiences, if you're a sales leader today, that are demanding more from you. The first is of the buyer and the customer, right? So to your point, they're, they're looking for more in our, we're going to be competing with our, our competitors, not just on our products, but also on the experience that the buyers and customers have, right? Not just your, your solutions. The second audience that we're serving is are our team members and the employees that work for us. And they're demanding and looking for leaders that not only have a desire, but have a capability to both inspire, coach, and then inspect, not just inspect. And so the challenge here has been because we didn't have the same level of telemetry and the same level of information that we've had in the past, whether it be through conversational intelligence, whether it be through activity insights, any of the persona engagement scores, all the things we can now pull together, this is where I believe our capabilities are actually more pronounced than most of our organization's ability to operationalize them. And it's that, it's that frontline leader that needs to start translating strategy, strategy into execution. And the analogy I often use is forecasting. We get a lot of energy in the sales space around forecasting. Why? It's important to be predictable so you can invest money in your business, commiserate with your growth you know, and your plans. But do we really improve performance of the business on the forecast call? You know, for anyone who's carried a bag has been on the call where basically the advice you get is get your numbers up, mm -hmm. right? Like, and it, it'd be the equivalent of going to the gym, climbing on a scale and having a trainer tell me I'm unhealthy. Like, thanks. I, I might've had that theory when I joined the gym and I hired a trainer. Do you have any leading indicators that you can tell me before I get on the scale next time that will help me course correct my performance while I'm actually working out in the gym or back to our sales um, discussion. While I'm making sales calls, while I'm operating in the quarter, can you, my coach, who is paid and measured on the same, you know, an aggregation of my number into your number, mm -hmm. do you have any advice for me right now where you can see things before they manifest themselves as an outcome? And can you give me the coaching and insight of what I can do now to course correct the destination? And I, I think this is the first place we start 
getting some rub from the older generation or more experienced generation and the younger generation is, oh man, this need for feedback, boy, they, they all, the younger generation, they so want. I'm like, yeah, my perspective is they've grown up with digital feedback, counted steps, <laughs> calories recorded off of boxes. So this younger generation has grown up with leading indicators and data. So they're very hungry for feedback while they can still affect the outcome. If you didn't grow up with these types of signals, you may, you may be more accustomed to, hey, Karen, you know the goal, right? You know your target, right? See you in 90 days, you'll either make it or you won't. And depending on how long we've been selling, many of us may have started off in that type of a sales culture where you got a, a one sheet column with a list of accounts and you got a quota and <laughs> you signed and faxed back your comp plan and away you went, right? Mm -hmm. Now the amount of data that's being delivered, insights into territory design and these factors is much more sophisticated. And I think the pressure is really on the sales leaders. Um, have we evolved to be able to lead to these managing, have we evolved to lead to these managing indicators, leading indicators, and have our ops teams and our enablement teams partnered with us to upgrade our operating cadence? Are we spending as much, if not more energy on inspecting pipeline creation, pipeline velocity, and pipeline conversion as we do on the forecast call? You know, yeah. is, your forecast, is your forecast call three hours and your pipeline review call 30 minutes once a month, right? Which parts of the business are you leaning into, leading or lagging? You know, I like what you say about the, the um, you know, the Gen Zs and they're just, you know, they're digital. All they know is digital feedback. Well, what I also say is, you know, those 10 plus years, you know, there's digital feedback, but there's a human application or, or you know, at the end of the day, we're sales where a lot of us, we're competitive, right? We want to, we want to win, we want to help. But in order to do that, we need to be coached. So I feel that just what you said that, oh, you know, Karen, you got this 90 days. And, and I feel that's the way leaders talk to the seasoned or that they're A players. But a 5% growth in an A player is, you know, like a 20% in a B player. So it's like that happens too much in my estimation. So how can we still still coach and, and kind of remove or destigmatize the negativity around it? Because if you want to win and you want it to be developed – the only way to do that is to, to interrupt. And if we're waiting at the end to say, well, you know what, Art, had you, what, had you done that, <laughs> we could have been here. Well, how is that helping me win? How can we, you know, together and, you know, review the opportunity and just like course correct. And, and I think what happens is we don't course correct or we don't review. I'll tell you because I've done it and it's way quicker and it's easier for me to go Art, turn left. Instead of, you know, empowering our team, irrespective of if they're Gen Zs, Gen Xs, whatever they are, and say, hey, Art, you know, why do you think this is happening here? Like, in your opinion, what's going on here? We had some good traction. We had meetings. And now things are slowed down. And throw it on you. And, and I feel like that's where you're going to get engagement of those tenured people because you're, you're firing them up again and going, you know, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe I need to gain more consensus. Maybe I didn't... Um, I don't know, send a, you know, a Zoom call summary after, like just invite them to really get reflective and start controlling the process without management coming in and doing it for them. Yeah, totally. I, I think the risk any seasoned leader has is we have experience and wisdom that we know certain situations, scenarios, or conditions are probably a derivative of some very predictable reasons or rationale. So our, our instincts as humans for efficiency can be to just a leap to what we already know to be true. This is where data becomes helpful in terms of actually validating our wisdom and experience, but there's still that human moment to your point about how do we actually establish um, 
this relationship where coaching, and I love the phrase that you just used there, where this is a comfortable, expected conversation, not an uncomfortable one. And I'll, I'll pick on a very acute point for me right now that really stands out in the sales and marketing space, which is if you think about an enterprise seller today as a professional, whether they're a professional musician, professional athlete, a surgeon, any other profession where people get paid top dollar to perform complicated tasks on stage, right? It's not a stretch to think about someone who's selling, you know, Karen signs a three-year, $1 million deal with Cisco with upside kickers and performance measures that could be worth $2 million, right? You know, you can almost imagine being announced in your hometown and cutting a ribbon at the car dealership. If we viewed ourselves like these professionals, conversations like this would not come up. Why are we instrumenting activity in our organization? How come, you know, we're recording phone calls? This feels very big brother. It feels very, you're violating my, there's this implied privacy when you're, in a, when you're an enterprise seller that you're carrying a number, you're in the enterprise, therefore, you know, back off, let me do my job. I'll come back and let you know when, when we're ready to, to pop the champagne and celebrate. While that may have been the way sales needed to be 20, 30 years ago, simply because of our ability to communicate and interact with each other, there is not another profession in 2022, or for that matter, probably since beyond 2000, you know, teens, where the, where the pro or the athlete or the musician or the, the person we're talking about is not only getting telemetry and instrumentation at every step of the way, they're also getting coaching. And the quarterback getting a play in from the sidelines and getting metrics about their completion percentage or, you know, rotations on the football or any of these other things that they're trying to orient or the swimmer who's in the Olympics and she's trying to get one more tenth of a second off of her time in the pool. When their coach comes up and starts talking to them about the data around their performance, their first response isn't, what is this? You're invading my privacy. Why, why do you have all this instrumentation? <clears throat> because there's an inherent belief that the coach and the athlete or the coach and the performer both want the same thing, an exceptional symphony, a great performance at the Olympics, or a touchdown at the end of the game. Um, but for some reason, specifically the sales profession, engineers are checking in code in and out. You know, there's, there's people have been doing project. I was a consultant for years. You know what we did? We did timesheets. We wrote down every single hour, what we were doing. You build by it. For some reason, enterprise sales, and I was one, and I enjoyed the privacy that came with the role. But that era is going away where you say, you know, just give me the instrument and I'll go play or give me the ball and I'll go play and I'll tell you what happened. Um, peak performance is team performance and it requires a coach. It requires instrumentation and it requires the professional who wants to use that instrumentation to meet, meet peak performance. It's, it's a fascinating dichotomy for me right now is how comfortable we are using instrumentation for performance in so many other areas of our life. But enterprise sales, it's a third rail um, that we're, we're still choking down. Yeah, I see that a lot. And, you know, in my opinion, Art, what I chalk that up to is an undeveloped coaching culture. So it's like, I'm just going to do this, you know, as a one-off, as a middle manager or a sales leader, but it's like, who has developed this culture? Because if I'm going to disarm, if I'm going to open up and I'm going to show my vulnerabilities, I need to know that this is a safe space that, that you, that I can trust you. And I also want to know why we're doing this. Like, why are you helping me? What can we expect to achieve together? Like it's again, selling, you have to sell me, walk me through the process. What can I expect the consistency to get buy-in? So that's kind of a change management piece. And I think when people just kind of like in the middle of it, let's just do this. And you're like, well, what is this? Oh, I'm going to coach you. So I feel the framework and the coaching culture needs to be built. 
And then within that comes the safe space. Oh, this is it. And I feel when that is in place from all levels of the organization, it's supported that you will get people disarming and people at all levels and all experiences will be leaning in and they will be more coachable. Well, and, you know, one of the things that we had discussed prior were what were specific talents or skills or ways of thinking that should be developed given this modernization of our of our profession. And we talked about a couple of things. One, we've already talked about moving to leading versus lagging indicators. Um, the second one is systems thinkers, people who think in terms of inputs, activities and outputs can think cross-functionally um, with the business process design and then choosing to leverage technology and capabilities to unlock human potential versus trying to replace um, or do without. It's really about unlocking this potential. And you mentioned change management, which has really triggered me on this, which is to create a coaching culture, the coaches have to have enough confidence and self-esteem to lean into these conversations. And so if you were just the top rep for the last three years at your company, and now you've been promoted to a frontline manager, your teammates ex-peers think you're now much more influential and in control of a lot more than you probably technically are. Secondly, you're in a new role, but you're coming off a peak of confidence and self-esteem. Now suddenly you've lost that. You're in a new role. You're insecure. You're uncertain. You've got people above you you look up to that apparently are also getting information and decisions you don't have access to. And there you are wedged between so many forces, your customer, your team, the business. If you can't develop yourself to a point where you're confident that you know the difference between a leading, leading or lagging indicator, that you can look at systems where you have dependencies, maybe upstream in marketing or downstream dependencies in customer success. Can you look at that abstractly and describe where the system broke down? Or are you showing up saying Karen didn't do her job, Art didn't do his job? Are, are you naming and shaming? Or can you analytically look at how something should have gone, find where it broke down and coach not only your team, but maybe your team's partners? And then last, can you deliver a speech about how professionals in 2020 are instrumented and that's why we're using this data to improve performance? Can you inspire your team that they want the coaching because it's how you all make money or do you have a different culture, which is I manage the consequences and outcomes. You either get it done or you don't. You're either good enough for the job or you're not. Um, I, I would argue you're, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to develop as a coach. You probably have a more challenging future ahead in terms of your career, um, because I think our customers and our employees are going to demand that we understand how to apply this technology and this data responsibly. And they're going to look to their coaches and they're going to choose to go work for those mm -hmm. people that can shave another second off their swim time or mm -hmm. help them hit that high note in the symphony or, you know, that's who the great, the great ones want to participate with. And the people who are still trying to find their greatness, want to be around it, right? And so if we want to attract the best talent and serve our customers, I think it really starts with us challenging ourselves, maybe after a few decades of experience, to want to relearn some things and re-energize ourselves. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, Art. And when you think about, you know, the leading and lagging indicators for our sales team, think about for the emerging sales manager who you said has just been promoted to an, from an individual contributor because they were great at pushing product and driving results through product. Now they're managed on driving results through people, completely different skill sets. So really all this changes their title at this point. So how as that level above them, can we do the same thing and look at leading indicators? Don't wait till they fail and that they've lost the respect and control of their team. How can we course correct them to say, Hey, Model the behavior, show them. This is how I uh, disarm. This is how I show my vulnerability. 
by saying a story that, you know, where I sucked or where I dropped the ball, but this is how I learned. And so I think that we're not setting them up for success. I, I do feel there's a balance between taking ownership and going, look, I, I don't have all the answers. And it is a tough transition when you've been a peer on Friday and then on Monday, I'm writing your performance evaluation. So it's a tough one. But how can they empower themselves, take a course, you know, get a mentor, you know, whatever they need to do, but also, you know, how can we in that layer above them provide the same support that they need, that we're asking them to, you know, to provide to their team and for our customers. Don't wait till they failed. You know, I get that we sometimes have to fail, but if there's an opportunity to coach and model the behavior that level above, wouldn't you want to create that supporting culture that they feel they then in turn will pass that downstream to their team? hundred percent. We've talked about two of what I think are the three characters at the center of this, you know, data-driven modernization and the importance of coaching and change management. We talked about RevOps and the operators. We've talked about a couple layers of leadership here. And your question now is how do we help that front line if we're maybe in second line or, or the CRO of an organization? The third leg of this table is your enablement team. And the enablement team, the operations team, and the frontline leadership team need to move like a almost like a, a triangle of parenting, right? Or, or oversight or, you know, in coaching, which is um, the three of them are trying to communicate a similar need either to behave a certain way, act a certain way, run a playbook, run a process. Maybe you're focusing on a certain set of accounts. Maybe you want to penetrate untouched accounts. Maybe you want to cross-sell and upsell new products. When the operations team outlines the how. The enablement team can communicate the why and the efficacy and the way to do it. And the frontline manager understands both. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to really drive this home, <clears throat> I always, I'll hear people say, we need to enable the field. We need to enable the field. And, you know, I'll talk to prospect, we need to enable the field. And I'm like, there is no enabling the field. There's only enabling the frontline who then helps us enable the field. If your frontline is learning and or consuming things at the exact same moment you're trying to enable the field. When they, when, they, when they get off that call, and Karen, you're my manager, and we just went through enablement together at the same time, and I get off the call, I'm like, why are we doing account planning? And you go, I don't know. And I'm like, did they just say we're changing our forecast calls from Thursday to Friday? Like, do we have to do that? And, you, and if you're hearing it for the first time, I've not equipped you as a frontline manager at the most important moment where you can not only talk about what's happening, but you can talk about why it's happening and you can offer to be their coach or their Sherpa through this change management process. Therefore, I encourage senior leaders to, to do some really simple health check. Do you have a frontline manager program in place? Is it clearly accessible for people who want to be frontline managers, are frontline managers, and leading frontline managers? So you all have a placemat of these are the competencies that a frontline manager is expected to deliver on because it's hard. They've got a team to manage. They have a business to manage. They have customers and prospects to manage. And they also have to manage themselves. So they've got four different areas that they have to develop. And, and I don't think that we as an industry, we as leadership teams, often give that frontline the absolute clarity. And I'll often use the, the joke with a, if I'm talking to one of our customers or prospects, I say the way we support frontline leaders today would be a little bit like sending a student to college and saying, hey, Karen, welcome to university. Take classes. We, we, we don't tell you about freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. We don't explain the concept of a major. We don't explain the concept of prerequisites. So if you don't have a curriculum 
that says to a frontline manager, welcome to being a frontline manager. There are four elements to it. You must have these fundamentals in place. Then you can graduate. You can do performance reviews with it. You can do promotion paths with ICs who want to become frontline managers. But more importantly, every initiative you're going to drive out, translating strategy into execution, a new business process or a new technology is going to move through that triangle. Ops and enablement will never be better than the frontline leaders partnership with those two teams. The, the frontline leaders set the bar for the yield you'll get out of your operational and enablement investment. Yeah, huge, huge there. And it's just also, you know, effective communication and, and really setting them up for success with giving them uh, the requirements. And I can tell you, you know, that was my introduction to sales is here's a bag, here's a number, go. <laughs> so university, I probably had more direction than I did in my sales career starting off. But that's kind of how you figure it out too, right? Back in the day when we didn't even have technology. So if people are, are hearing this and they're perhaps at different levels um, or different, yeah, different levels of the digital transformation, you know, what, what could they do to assess their current state and just kind of go like, where am I at? And then where, where, where do I prioritize or where do I look ahead to get, you know, to be competitive, to move to the next level? Can you give them two or three things that they could start looking at? Sure. Um, so as an analogy for anyone who is involved or saw or consumed what went on in this software space as the world moved from waterfall to DevOps, this more agile, iterative concept, I really believe that's what's happening in go-to-market where we're moving from these big monolithic annual plans with QBRs, with weekly forecasts. So your mindset should be the world is getting faster. Things we did once a year, maybe we're going to do quarterly. Things we did quarterly, we do monthly. Things we did monthly become weekly and things that happen weekly are now automated. Um, and so I would start by just getting the mindset that the reason we want to make this shift is we want to be more agile and we want to bring more velocity to adapting to what's working and stopping what's not. Than, than we may have in the past, right? So that's the first reason we're doing this is to increase our agility and our responsiveness to, to what needs to happen in the business. From that mindset, I would just first start off by inventorying all of the key performance measures that you have for your business and just put them in two buckets. How many of them are lagging indicators? We still need those, by the way. When I, I harp on leading indicators a lot, people may mistake that for me not thinking we need to measure outcomes. We absolutely need to measure the outcomes. But just sort out how many of your indicators are lagging versus leading. And you may be surprised what you find. Maybe you've got 20 lagging indicators and one or two leading. And then just ask yourself if that's the right balance of how much of your organization's energy you want on managing the outcome versus what drives the outcome. The second one would be, is there one decision that you historically made annually, quarterly, or some period of time of a cadence because you were waiting for an outcome by which to make a decision. And can you use one of those leading indicators for, um, to make a more rapid decision? For example, untouched accounts. In enterprise selling, it is tradition, if I could use that word, to cut territories once a year because you have a longer sales cycle, you need to support people to develop it. But if you have the technology to be able to tell that Art and Karen each have 15 accounts in their enterprise patch, but we haven't called on, met with, or worked more than five of them in the last six months, does it make sense to keep those 10 accounts trapped in the bottom of our territory design until next year's annual planning? Or should we be doing a quarterly review where we communicate to our field teams, no one owns accounts, you rent them, and your rent payments are pipeline and activity. And if you miss those rent payments, we're going to reallocate these accounts to territories where maybe we don't um, have performance. So I, th I think that's just one little example of Look at your leading and lagging indicators. Second, look at your operating cadence with a mindset of 
would we benefit from being faster in, in a certain area? For some people, moving accounts in the middle of the year may make no sense whatsoever. For others, it could be a multi-million dollar maneuver for you this year. Um, and then the, the last one is the frontline manager program I talked about. If you can't point to it and pull it up as an executive or as a frontline leader today or as an ops or an enablement professional, I believe you have a big opportunity for, for creating something the whole company can rally around. Everybody wants the field's attention. Everybody wants to push capabilities to those, to those field teams. The operations and enablement teams should be thinking, talking, and communicating like product managers, bringing these new capabilities to market. The delivery vehicle of how your operating capabilities will go to market is your front line. And so they have to be clearly coached and instructed on how to be that force multiplier for you. And if you're not that specific, that they have four dimensions to their job, managing a customer, managing the business, managing their team and managing themselves, you might get some of the results you want. It's just going to be more random than I know most leaders are are comfortable with. And I, I think those are the leading and lagging, changing some element of your operating cadence, um, putting that frontline manager in program. The last thing I would finish on with senior executives is if you are in the C-suite or participating in budgeting, how are budget dollars that are driving this transformation being allocated? Are you giving budget to marketing, sales, and services who are transforming independently at their own pace, at their own level of competence? Or would more centralized investment, would more collective investment, either through your RevOps function, through your IT and finance teams, where you sit down and take a holistic look at the buyer and customer journey across those three silos? And ask yourself if you're allocating resources and do you have the right talent um, in the supporting functions to drive this transformation? Because um, in some instances, they may look very different in terms of the skill sets. Wow. A great, great roadmap for anyone who's looking to get started at all levels. And I love what you just said at the end. It's, you know, when you're looking at budget and if you can kind of take that holistic approach, you know, you're by doing that, you're knocking down the silos, like you're forcing them to come together. And sometimes, you know, that's what it takes. You know, people aren't going to culturally, they're not going to do it. They're not seeing how one hand talks to the other. Um, and that's leading. That's in the moment. But the lagging is the customer. You know, if you're not meeting the customer, if you're not getting the conversion rates, you have to shine that mirror inward and say, hang on a minute, um, as a system here internally, what can we do? And perhaps allocating budget wholly is going to bring these teams together, which I thought was a really, really great point. What, what I heard there just about that shuffling of the counts, you know, be willing to try different things like what, you know, and like the rent to, renting versus owning, you know, someone's going to come in with a different perspective. And all of a sudden, the person who owned it might be like, hang on a minute, now I'm willing to try. So throw things around. And I just think don't, don't be afraid to try new things. You know, like 2020, everything's different. It's going to be different in 2023. Let's iterate, let's move it around. And let's just, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's have a willingness to try because you never know what, what you can expect on the other side. 100% couldn't agree more. So Art, uh, you've delivered lots and lots of value here with just RevOps, you know, what it is. It's more than a buzzword. It's more than a trend. Um, all phases and spectrums of, of the digital transformation, a lot on uh, the importance of coaching, which I, I firmly believe in, and even just really setting those frontline managers up for success. If people are looking to learn more about people.ai, they want to connect with you, um, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? The People AI website, 
peopleai, uh, people.ai, um, art at people.ai, um, and also I'm on LinkedIn as well as our company. Um, we try to be very active in both the RevOps community as well as sharing our points of view in terms of the things we've learned. Um, so feel free to reach out um, to our company or to me uh, through any of those channels. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll be sure to include those in the show notes. And you really have developed, um, shared a, a wealth of knowledge. I, I think after this, you know, people are going to walk away and perhaps some of those barriers will start to come down when they look at, you know, the benefits that we can make collectively and ultimately, you know, provide a better experience for our, our, our buyers. So thank you so much, Art, for your time um, and our conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for tuning in to the K2 Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our weekly sales insights are geared towards sales reps, leaders, and small business owners to help navigate the complexity of modern day sales. Our tactical takeaways help you put a plan in place to start creating your own game-changing results. Until next time, happy selling. This podcast was produced by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub Productions. Find her online at podcasthub.ca.